So we'll do this about a hundred times today. He is risen. He is risen. But is he really risen? I mean, let's, let's get serious here. Is that really true? That's crazy stuff. I mean, we're, we're talking about a dead guy who's not dead. Y'all with me? Luke 24. But on the first day of the week, early at dawn, they, the ladies, went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to them, to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they did not believe them, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. He is risen. risen A dead body in the ground, not in the ground anymore. You ever been to a cemetery? No one here? We're going to take a trip. Everybody load up. (laughs) People go to cemeteries to do what? Visit dead people. And they talk to them and they remember them and they may cry, they may be encouraged, but there's no relationship. You know why? They're dead. Today is Easter. He ain't dead. He's risen. risen But don't we treat him like he's dead? How do we know he's risen? You see the people in here? These are eyewitnesses. People who would have seen what happened. And I want you to think about this. Did they say it wasn't true? Or did they say it was true? If you heard that George Washington appeared in your hometown 40 years ago, what would you do? Where'd you grow up? Glen Mills. Glen Mills. Did you know George Washington appeared in Glen Mills? And I'll give you a list of 10 names. And you know the 10 people. What do you do? You go check, right? And what if he didn't appear? What would they say? He didn't really show up. But what if it turns out they say, no, it's true, he did show up. We have a historical, reliable event that could have been debunked by these people saying, it's not true. But no one debunked the story because the story is true. I want you to think about that. We have God appears in history dies in history, rises in history, appears to over 500 people in history, and you could go and ask them when Luke wrote this, if this really happened, and these people said what? He is risen. But it's not about believing in a fact. It's not just a fact. It's knowing why the fact. 
I'm going to blow through this and slow through this. Listen to how I do that. Jesus had to be crucified. It says in verse 7, the Son of Man, what? You guys see that word? Why did he have to die? Why did he have to rise? Because God came to save people who couldn't save themselves. How do people try to be right with God? When you die and you meet God and he says, why do I let you in? What do you say? Because I lived a good life and tried my best. Look at this. The lady took spices they had prepared to Jesus. They were focused on what they could do for Jesus. When they left, verse 9, what were they focused on? What Jesus had done. Go ahead, check that verse 9. They weren't doing for Jesus. They went to tell what he had done. They went to tell that he is risen. Jesus had to die because you couldn't save yourself. Do you understand that? Your good works would not measure up to God's standard of perfection. God says you must love him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You must love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say try your best and you don't even try your best. You don't. And you say, well, I don't think it's true. Dude, he rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, I suspect he might be God. And if he's God, you don't get to negotiate. God says you must be perfect. Any perfect people here? God says if you're not perfect, you will die. You want to call him a liar? He rose from the dead. But God is so gracious and merciful that he made a way so that you don't have to die. Physically, you will die. But on the other side, do you know you are eternal creatures moving forward? You will all live forever. It would really stink to make a bad choice in where you're investing eternity based on idiocy. Did I say that out loud? If a guy rose from the dead and you want to call him a liar and say, I don't have to be perfect, God shut your trap. That might not go well for you. But if you see the grace and love of mercy of God, for God so loved the world, how much? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes or trusts in him would not perish, face the wrath of God and eternity in hell, but would have eternal life. Listen, Easter is about he is risen, risen and applied to you, it's about you will be risen Thank you, Jim. You will be risen. Do you know what the opposite of Easter is? You will be dead forever. You know, to, to, you will be dead indeed. When you go to the cemetery, they can't hear you. You go visit mom or dad or grandpa, grandma, grandpa, I miss you so much. You know, grandpa ain't there. Grandpa dead. Grandpa can't hear you, and Grandpa ain't going to talk to you. Do you go to the cemetery to visit Jesus? Jesus, life is so hard. Can you help me, please? You know what they would say? He ain't there, son. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He is risen. He is really, really risen. You guys are with me. 
George Washington appeared 40 years ago in Glen Mills. He taught people, he ate with people, he interacted with and appeared to 500 people at one time. Who believes this? All right, Becky, we'll have to talk afterwards. <laughs> How would we know if George Washington appeared in Glen Mills? We could go and ask. Think about that. Maybe you're, maybe you're 30 years old, 20 years old, I don't know. Let's, let's say, because Luke's written 40 years after this, but we have epistles written less than 20. You, let's say that, you know, Patty, there's a story that, that George Washington appeared in, in Massachusetts 40 years ago when Patty was two. And he appeared to your mom, and he appeared to your uncle and your brothers and sisters. Well, if Patty goes to her mom, says, Mom, did George Washington show up in Massachusetts when I was four? You know what Dorothy is going to say? Patty, where do you come up with this crazy nonsense? And the whole story falls apart. But what happens if she asks her mom, did George Washington appear when I was four? And her mom says, Patty, what the heck do you think I've been trying to tell you for all these years? Yes, he appeared. He ate with us. He lived with us for a while. He was really there. And she says, Mom, is that why your life is so, so different than mine? You actually, she's like, yes, it's real. It's a fake illustration. But, but these people, Peter went to the tomb. Do you know what he saw in the tomb? Do you know how radically his life changed after he found the tomb was empty? Chuck Colson says, Watergate caused him to believe in the resurrection because some of the most powerful men on the planet couldn't keep a secret for a number of weeks. But some of the weakest men on the planet went to their death over a story about a dead guy who rose. And because of that and his exposure to Watergate, he said there's no way that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. It's historically, verifiably watertight. If you believe Jesus rose from the dead, do you have eternal life? Careful. You can believe the facts and go to hell. How do you trust in the facts? How do you live in light of the resurrection. Anyone want to take it from here? Anyone know the Psalms? All of them? Psalm 34, verse 8. You're all looking around, I know. I'll help you out in a second. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Have you tasted the resurrection? Have you seen the resurrection power? Why does the psalmist say, taste and see? He doesn't say, do you know God's good? I know he's good. He says, have you tasted and seen how good he is? Listen, Jesus is risen. You may believe he is risen, but have you tasted and seen that he is risen? Y'all like, what do we do, Pastor? Do we say it or not? Just keep moving. How do you taste and see the resurrection? Where are you looking for approval? Where, where are you looking for joy? Where are you looking for security? Where are you looking for provision? Where are you looking for purpose? Where are you looking for identity and meaning and love and comfort? How that working out for you, folks? Who is perfectly joyful today? Don't raise your hand, I'll call you out. Who is anxious for nothing today? Who is perfectly content today? Who is feeling loved today? Who has joy beyond their wildest dreams? Who has no doubt upon where their provision is coming? 
You know why? Because you ain't tasting and seeing fully. He ain't a dead man in the hole. He's a risen Savior. He is risen. I don't know if you heard me, but I say, he is risen. He is risen Can we get out of the cemetery church and get into the world? Because there ain't nobody in the hole. Where are you failing to trust in the fact that he's not dead? How often do we pray to a dead guy? Prayer sounds like this, Jesus. Dang, this stinks, man. I wish you were really alive. We wouldn't say this out loud. I know you say you'll provide for me and guide me, but but let's be real. You're kind of quiet in the hole. He ain't in the hole. He's got a loud voice. And he is mighty to save and sanctify. God is not dead. I know there's a great movie. Let me tell you, you can skip the movie. The answer's in here. He's risen. risen Where are you not trusting God? Anyone here? Watch this. Who's looking forward to death? See, it sounds weird, doesn't it? But let me ask it again. Who's looking forward to death? Why do we balk? Why why are we balky? Would anyone be interested in going on an all-expense-paid trip on a Gulfstream 5 to any destination in the world that you like for a month? Any takers? All right. Did you guys hear what I'm offering? Anyone want to go anywhere they want for free for a year? Anyone have a mortgage? You want it paid off? Now, now that would excite you, wouldn't it? Anyone here have problems? You want them to go away? Anyone have a physical affliction? You want it to be taken away totally? That would excite you, wouldn't it? You think that's better than eternal life? Jesus promises every affliction and pain you have will be removed. Every disease you got will be cured. The timing of the prosperity gospel is off. First, we got to live on this side for his name's sake, for his glory, and experience the reality of the resurrection. But my friends, on the day you die, you know who you're going to meet? The risen Lord. And he's going to say, Pastor told you I wasn't dead. And he'll probably say, Pastor didn't believe it as well as he should have. But he had the facts right. Listen to this. How do we live this out? How do we play this out? Well, here's what we're going to do. I just read the first 12 verses of Luke 24. Some of you know in the last year or so we've been going through Romans. We're going to pause Romans for a couple weeks. And we're going to go... Luke 24, 13, to the end of Luke, and then we're going to go to the beginning of Acts. And I'm going to show you how people encountered the risen Christ in Scripture and what that looked like, praying that God might work in our lives to help us in reality encounter Christ in our lives, trusting in him, walking with him, obeying him, seeing the fact that he is really, really risen. Look what happens here in Luke 24. The ladies go back, they say to these guys, he's risen, and all the apostles go, he is risen indeed. But these words seemed to them to be an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Someone should have edited verse 11 out. We live in the in-between. We, we, we live as people who say we trust God, 
But in reality, these words seem to us to be an idle tale, and we do not really believe it so well, do we? I'm thankful that our salvation doesn't rest on how well we believe. I'm thankful that our salvation rests on how well Christ lived on our behalf and the fact that he is risen. risen It is not the sincerity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith, and the object of our faith is quite secure. But the more sincerely we trust in that object, the risen Christ, the more joy we have. Listen to this. You read the midweek thought this week about joyless Christianity? You know the Minion song? I'm feeling happy. You know that song? Right? It's a good song, right? You ever meet Christian people and think, y'all some miserable suckers. And then you hang out with the lost people and they're all like, feeling happy. And you're like, y'all are fun to be around. But it's like, I can't have fun with you because I'm a Christian. He's risen. We almost done. <laughs> you know why Christian people seem so joyless? Because you can't have the happy crap. You can't have the happy stuff. Because when you're dancing in sin, forgive me, Jesus. You, when you're dancing in sin, you can't enjoy the sin. Hey, let's go out drinking and let's, let's smoke some drugs, Cheech and Chong. Let's go find some ladies. And then you come to faith, you're like, um, yeah, not so much. I can't, can't go. That's just not how I should be living. But then you're sitting over here going like, Jesus, why did you kill all this joy I have? Jesus didn't come to kill joy. That's not joy. That's not joy. Yeah, you ever meet a drunk person? I mean, I, I lived around him for four years in college. I had never experienced a drunk person until my freshman year of college. You say, how? Isn't a long story there? But I come out of my dorm, and these people are like, ha, how is drink us? Come on. And then we go down, and I'm like, okay. And then they're, and then they're smoking funny cigarettes. Okay, I mean, I, I, I don't know what's going on. And then they all got the giggles. <laughs> I'm starving. And I'm sitting there. Like, dude, what is going on here, right? I was not saved in college. I was just, I had other issues. But those people the next morning, I thought I was missing something. The next morning they got up and they were like, you want want to go for breakfast? They had headaches and hangovers. They spent the whole day laying in bed with ice packs on their head. Listen to me. We fall into the trap, brothers and sisters in Christ, thinking that what the world calls happy brings joy. You want to know the secret? It doesn't. What Jesus offers is joy. Happy is an emotional feeling. Yes, you can, you can use things to make you feel happy. But those things fade and go away. Jesus doesn't come that our happy may be full. He comes that we may have joy and have it fully. The world runs after joy in all the wrong things. They think, if I could get this job with the right title and the right income, I will have joy. Do you want to know the secret? If I could pay my bills and save a little money, I'd have joy. You want to know the secret? If I could just have a spouse, or a better spouse, or a, a car, or a better car, 
then I'd be happy. You want to know the secret? It doesn't work. Do you know where joy is found and found completely? In Christ. And when I say that, you say, that sounds like an idle tale. Well, how's that working out for you? And we're all over here. And Jesus, he, listen to this. He commands us to do certain things. And I'm speaking to the believer. He commands us to do certain things, not to control us and show that he owns us. That's just fact. He does it so we can experience resurrection power in our lives. The reality of the fact that Christ is risen. Jesus gives us principles for stewardship. Do you know why? Listen, Jesus is not desperate to hang out with someone. I demand you read your Bible. I'm so lonely. I mean, really? God spent all of eternity without you in past, and he was A-OK. He doesn't tell us to pray because he wants someone to talk to. I'm a lonely guy. and need people to say hello and praise me. No. He says it because you need it. God doesn't say, give me some money, I'm running out. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. But he says, trust me, or you'll run out. He says, walk with me, taste and see the Lord is good. Guys, do you understand the reality here? We, as Christians, are to be the most joy-filled people on the planet. Not fake joy. Not not the giddy giggly. (laughs) I mean, people who can face trials of many kinds and consider it pure joy. Why? Because we know it's just testing our faith. It's developing perseverance. It's allowing us to taste and see that the Lord is, in fact, good. Now, we're talking about resurrection. Can we just be blunt honest? Isn't it kind of difficult to believe? I mean, don't give me the church Christian. No, no, no. Listen, a dead body rose from the grave. Does that sound crazy to you? Because if it doesn't sound crazy, you're missing the reality of what's going on here. You remember Paul in the Areopagus in Acts 17, and he's sharing, and he gets to the resurrection, Do you remember what happened when he got to the resurrection? They thought he was a fool. They they began to mock him. One of my favorite passages in scripture is in 1 Corinthians 15, now that you all flipped to Acts 17, trying to think I was going there. In 1 Corinthians 15, look at this. Now, verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it's true, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. 
There are millions of people in our context today culturally celebrating Easter, and it makes me want to gag myself with a spoon. Oh, he's a good example for us. Oh, it's a spiritual resurrection. Oh, what a wonderful story. Oh, knock it off. Either throw the whole thing out or own it for what it is, because if he didn't bodily rise from the dead, I am the most pathetic person you will meet. I I, I preach a a lie. I've invested my life into a lie, and I'm leading you all astray. If he didn't bodily, physically rise from the dead. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Listen to this. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Who's looking forward to death? You're not going to live until you die. Do you understand that? You, You are living, yes, but this is for the believer. This is the closest experience you will have of hell for all of eternity. And you don't think life's that bad? You have no idea how good it's going to be. And we go out into a world of people who look at us as Christians, and they say, but I like the happy, happy over here. Can I tell you our job isn't to go into the happy, happy and play with them there? It's to love them in the happy, happy and help them see it's not so happy, happy. It's to see that they don't need the approval of man if they have the approval of Christ. It's to see that it's not locking your doors that's going to keep you safe. It's walking with Christ. Yes, there's responsibility. Lock your doors. Don't misunderstand me here. It's meaning in life. What's the purpose? You got kids? How do you raise your kids? What's your goal in raising your kids? If the goal is simply to keep them quiet until you get them out of the house, you can pull that off probably. But if your goal is to raise them to be the people they were made to be, to live a successful life and have joy, well, the answer's not going to be found on the happy, happy side. The answer is found in the resurrected Christ. What's the purpose of your life? Because listen, you got one run through this. And one day down the road, for some not too long, for some a long time, you're going to look back and say, huh, how'd that go? And then you're going to hear a voice behind you. Good question. And you're going to turn around and you're going to see that guy who rose from the dead. And you're going to go, oh, oh. You're going to be like, "Uh uh-huh. He's going to say, how did that go? going to say, I entrusted that to you. How did you steward it? Now listen to me. I'm talking to the believer here. Salvation's secure in Christ, but we're entrusted with stewarding this life for him. And the way we're called to steward it is by living on the ragged edge of the fact that if he's not really there, if he's not really risen, then we will fall flat on our faces, which is exactly where God wants us to be. I think of the Israelites running from Pharaoh. Like this, that's how they all run. And then, then they got to this big thing of water. You remember this big body of water? A big army coming. God, why are you running us up on the water's edge? We, we're going to die here. God goes, oh, shoot. Angels, fix the GPS. They're going to die. Why did he run them up on the water's edge? Because he wasn't going to let them die. He wanted to show how mighty he was to save. How often in our life 
Do we act like God's not really risen? And we see the water's edge. We're like, no, he cannot be calling me there. You know what you miss when you, when you do to Huey? You miss the reality of the resurrection. How, okay, so let's get practical. You get up to the water's edge. This is where you first experience the power of the resurrection. God says, you must be perfect as I am perfect. You can't really mean that. There's no way that you could demand people be perfect. Not going there. Come on back. Why do you say God can't demand that you be perfect? Who made you? My mom and dad. Who made you? We know, listen, listen to how gracious God is. We know through advances in science, okay, that you were created. You didn't evolve from primordial gook. Say, so why do they teach that in school? It's a different story for another day, folks. You were created by God. You were created for God. And God owns you. And because he owns you, he makes the rules. You must be perfect. Do you know what you say to God at that point? I can't. Help. And do you know what he does? He lifts your gaze over the water and points it to a tomb. And it's an empty tomb. And Jesus says, I know you couldn't. I know you didn't even want to. I did it on your behalf. And you trust in Christ for salvation. Christ lived the life you couldn't. He died the death you deserve and he rose from the dead three days later. Your life continues as a Christian of trusting and walking where God guides you and constantly running up to the water's edge and you get to the point where you need to be praying almost daily, God, I can't do this. And that's right where you should be. Because when you can't, when you are weak, then you're strong. Because you can do all things on your own. Mm. You can do all things through who? Christ who strengthens you. And I have good news about Christ. He's risen. So what we're going to see over the coming weeks is the reality played out in the lives of the apostles, in the lives of the early church, in the lives of a couple dudes on a road to Emmaus, in the lives of the women who came to the tomb. Death is defeated. Sin is broken. Eternal life is secure. He is risen. One time through and we're done, folks. Luke. You know, Luke wasn't born someone who just by default believed in the resurrection. Luke heard about this stuff. Luke experienced the reality of this stuff, but I want to show you one more person here that you can so easily miss. Go back to chapter 23. And you go to verse 50, and look at this. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council a good and righteous man. When you put the parallel accounts of the Gospels together, Joseph's coming with another guy. You may recognize his name. They called him Little Nicky. Nicodemus. Read John 3. You have two men who are part of the the Jewish ruling council who worked mightily to orchestrate the death of Christ. And they come... To Pilate, look at this. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented 
to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Do you see the risk that he's taken here? Then he took it down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone, where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day. You ever notice what day we get together as a church? We had one. Was that you, Mia? Thank you. What day do we get together as a church family? Why Sunday? Just, just fit better? You know when Jewish people gather for worship? You know when they have Shabbat? Saturday's their Sabbath. If you're a good Jewish kid, Friday night, sundown, till Saturday at sundown, that's Sabbath, that's Shabbat, that, that's, your, that's your day you worship the Lord. Something happened in history. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went down to the tomb. We don't just get together on Sunday because it fits. We get together on Sunday because this is the day that the Lord rose from the grave. He rose from the grave in history in a way that by God's grace is examinable and verifiable and beyond a shadow of the doubt, but beyond a preponderance of the evidence. He invites us to trust in the reality of his death and resurrection so we could be forgiven and have eternal life. And then he invites us to walk with him and experience resurrection power in our lives. So I started where I'll end. About three months ago, I was up at a cemetery for my aunt's funeral. It's a family cemetery, and we bring the body, put it in the ground, shovel dirt on it. Everybody says goodbye to Aunt Elsie. Then everybody scatters to go visit their dead relatives. You know, we got moms and dads over here, aunts and uncles over there, and they, they got these stones in front of them. Yeah, one, one says, Norman and Ruth Lifton. It's got the day they were born and the day they died, and there's a box in the ground with their bones in it. People go, and they may leave a flower, Jewish cemetery, you put a rock on the, the tombstone, and you sit and spend some time with your dead relative. You go and visit on birthdays or anniversaries. You tell them you miss them, and, and you wish you could see them, and you share what's going on to keep them updated. And, and this, this, is, this is something people do. But listen, don't go visiting Jesus in the cemetery. He's not a dead guy. The people who we know who die, you know what's sad? The relationship is severed. There's no relationship with grandma and grandpa in the cemetery anymore. They can't hear you. They can't see you. They can't hug you. It's sad, isn't it? Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. And how wonderful that Jesus came and conquered death. Listen to this. That box in the ground is not the end of the story. That box in the ground for you and me does not have to be the most depressing, miserable moment in your life. That box in the ground is not, the day I die, please don't come visit me at the cemetery. I'm not there. Come visit me up top 
where the risen Christ is who rose me to be with him by grace through faith. And listen to this. I guarantee you ain't going to come looking for me because you're going to see God himself face to face. Too often our testimony to the lost world is that we as Christians show up at a church on Sunday to remember a dead guy. No, we do not. We gather together as a people of God to worship a guy who rose from the dead and to live in light of that resurrection power which he's entrusted to us for his glory. My friends, he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Father God, we come before you today and pray that you would help us. Please help us to to not live like you're dead. Please help us to not live like you're powerless. Please help us to not live like you're a neutered version of who you truly are. Lord, I am sure there are people with us today who are extremely skeptical about the the, the resurrection. Father, I pray that you would help them. I pray that you would give them the desire to to look at this evidence, this irrefutable historical evidence in time and space to know that if they want to be rational, if they want to be true to their intellectual abilities, that they are faced with the reality that the tomb was empty and that you were not there because you rose. But then, Lord, I pray you would take them beyond just the facts of the resurrection to the reality of all of our lives before you apart from Christ. None of us are able to live up to the standard you demand. All of us have fallen short. None of us love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But Lord Jesus, you love us with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love the Father with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And by grace, You lived the life we couldn't. You hung on that cross to die the death we deserve, taking the wrath of God upon you in our place and then putting your righteousness upon us when we trust in you. Lord, help everyone to understand our great need for a Savior and understand why Jesus had to die and rise. And Lord, help us then live in light of that. Help us to have the joy you intend for us as we walk with you, our risen Savior. You are our good shepherd. Your sheep hear your voice and they know you and they follow you. Lord, you invite us to taste and see that you are good. Help us to taste and see that you are good. That you are exactly who you say you are. That you are exactly doing what you say you will do. And that we are who you say we are in Christ. Lord, today many of us stand on the water's edge and we think we're going to perish. Circumstances tell us what we should do. The world tells us what we should do. Our own humanness tells us what we should do. But Lord, help us to seek your will according to your word and do what you tell us to so that you might be glorified. God, you rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, and securing eternal life. How confident we as your children can be that you will guide us perfectly for your name's sake and so that our joy might be complete. Lord, we thank you so much, which is such a pathetically insignificant thing to say, but we thank you so much that you loved us so much that you came and died for us 
so that we might live with you. And Lord Jesus, of every person on this planet, we are the only ones who worship a risen Lord. Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. Carl Sagan is dead. Mohammed is dead. Every single one is dead. Bless you, Lord Jesus. You are risen. We pray these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.